morning, Canberra, and welcome to Fuzzy Logic, your science on a Sunday. My name is Broderick Matthews, and it's a pleasure to be here in the studio once again for another episode of Fuzzy Logic. Thanks very much to Declan for a, uh, a wonderful episode of Irish Voice beforehand. It's always nice and calming to hear the, uh, the Irish music before I come in the studio. Uh, but now we are going into the world of science. And in fact, this week, we are all about National Science Week. It's, uh, it's not quite there yet. It's, uh, it's starting on the 13th of August and running to the 21st of August. But I thought, uh, what better opportunity than to talk about what's coming up so you can plan your upcoming National Science Week because there are so many events happening across Canberra over... 50 different events, north side, south side, and in the middle. And uh, we've got three of the fantastic event holders in today to share what they're getting up to and explore a bit more of the science that they're talking about. Later today, we're going to talk about electricity and the chemistry behind all of that, as well as going down into the world of fungi and how it makes up the world around us. But to kick off this morning, I've got the wonderful Heidi in the studio from Security Day. Good morning, Heidi. Good morning. Fantastic to have you in. And you're all about Canberra Kids Security Day. Which is, uh, as the name implies, there's a bit of security in there that you're talking about. Tell me, tell me about yourself, Heidi. What's, uh, what's your background? So I'm actually a cybersecurity professional here in Canberra. I've been working in IT for over 20 years. And yeah, so we started up uh, Kids Security Day as a National Science Week event back in 2019. We'd been prior to that running as uh, standalone STEM events. For other National Science Week events, such as Greenlight Work for Girls, we still go along to that and hold individual workshops as well. But yeah, so we run as an individual um, day. We run it like a STEM extravaganza, a conference for kids all about security. And so we run these for ages 6 through to 16. And yeah, we welcome parents to come along as well if they'd like to because they generally learn quite a lot too. <laughs> I'm sure they do. So what what's so important about security? Why, why are you sending this message out there to the 6 to 16-year-olds? Well, honestly, look, it's a lot of fun, as it says, <laughs> but you're not place to say that I guess but security is super important we use it every day in our lives whether or not we even realize it and it's part of the core concepts that we can actually understand to not only make ourselves safer and happier on a day-to-day basis but you can also consider it as a career as well and I enjoy mine quite a lot so why not share it with others all right. Well, let's explore some of the activities that you do at Security Day. Uh, where, where do we start with the basics of all this? Okay, so we start with the basics with physical security, actually. So physical security, we learn all about how locks work and um, the security of those particular ones in a day-to-day basis. We also learn a lot about ethics in this class as well. So we actually kind of hide the ethics underneath the mashed potatoes in this particular case. So we look at it all about how locks work, uh, which are the ones which are more secure. So say, for example, you can go ahead and buy a $5 master lock that you pick it up, feels pretty safe and feels pretty heavy, um, and then you just drop it on the floor and it opens. It's probably not the one that you want to secure something you care about a lot with. So we look at how that all works at a basic level because we use locks every day. Everyone knows what a lock is, but not everyone knows exactly how it works. And so, yeah, we start there. Um, And that's also really great for people that may not actually have a good understanding of cyber security concepts as well or may not even be that interested in IT because the same rules that apply 
apply when it comes to purchasing and using locks are the same sort of rules that we apply when we're actually working around online. Uh, so say, for example, you can have a pretty complex key and uh, that means that it may be pretty hard to open manually if you don't have that key. And the same sort of thing applies when it comes to creating passwords online a good password is something which is say using a passphrase uh having something which is pretty complex it may be harder for other people to guess and the same sort of thing you wouldn't go put your house key on the road for everyone to use so you probably should make sure that your passwords stay safe and only you have them yourself yeah okay it's kind of like that idea i guess uh you're never supposed to store your your house keys with your address or something like that are you that's a good way yeah Yeah, don't take a photo of your key and put it online randomly as well that's also a really bad idea and that happens more than you think really yeah yeah Yeah, i suppose people get excited about owning the new house and putting their keys but that's just uh opening it up to to people to copy pretty much pretty much it's super easy to do that as well wow that is something i hadn't considered um which is uh yeah just just amazing indeed there um okay and so then we take those, those concepts into to cyber security and cyber safety mm-hmm. um how much of what you're talking about to have these young people explored already because if i think about my education going back mm-hmm. um you know 20 odd years now um to, to when i was in primary school and high school computers were only just starting and so really we were all about um uh, how to actually use a computer and then there was a little bit around cyber safety like you, you weren't supposed to give out your name and address online uh, which was kind of the same rules that you had with strangers <laughs> you should just talk to strangers uh, how, how much has education progressed since then so when we started uh, doing these back in 2017 within the ACT uh, I think computing classes were pretty common at that stage kids were getting taught uh, programming at a younger age which is great uh, but it was still very much in um, the early take up time. Now when we're running these same sort of events, uh, so say for example one of our um, events that we actually have is the cyber games and so with the cyber games it's uh, called what we call a capture the flag game and so you have a range of cybersecurity questions and puzzles uh, that are presented and you solve them and you get points so we can actually see in the um, the background as to how quickly kids are actually working on these particular progr- uh, problems and solving them at a lot faster rate. And so we're having to adjust our design as a result. But you can actually see it reflected. Their education is actually um, pretty pretty well moving here in ACT, especially with new introduction of cybersecurity curriculum within the ACT. It's um, been pretty good to see. Also, um, things like cyber safety, uh, I think um, I think it's called Think You Know, which is run by the AFP in association with delivery partners, comes around and gives um, cyber safety education to most of the uh, ACT schools. We still we actually do work with them um, when it comes to um, our local events. We hand out um, educational booklets, um, thanks to the AFP, on these particular things. We don't co- cover it as a standalone workshop with uh, uh, with our particular events because it's already covered here in the ACT existing. So we make sure that we're not replicating, but we're looking at enhancing and providing alternative sort of STEM um, hands-on activities that people can have within this particular sort of security focus. Yeah. So it sounds like it's just a fun approach to to all of this cyber security and actually getting in there and doing it. Yeah. We try to uh, present things in a different line. So say, for example, one of our other workshops we're running this year is Cyber Kung Fu, learning the (laughs) 
basics. Yeah. It's all about yeah. cyber self-defense, right? Yeah, okay. And, yeah, and so we're looking at how um, you can use available means to inspect websites. So say, for example, you get sent a link by a friend or you think it's a friend. What do you, how do you check that whether or not this is a safe link or whether or not you should just delete it? So we're going to be providing in that workshop hands-on experiences to taking um, what we think may be slightly dodgy links and uh, safely inspecting them and how to, um, yeah, how to interpret their information as well. So that's our one-on-one course on that side of things. We've also got um, the World Network. So this year, the National Science Week theme is glass. Is it more than me, Slime? I can't remember. More than me, It is more than me. Got it right. Like, isn't that Transformers? I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Which aligns to the UN theme as well for this year, I believe. So we always like to do a hands-on workshop which aligns to the National Science Week theme as well. So this year, we're talking all about the World network so did you know that fiber optics um used to be made out of glass right yeah yeah and that's how um, a lot of our international communication actually works so we've got um thanks to telstra have given us some heavy duty cabling which we're going to be um displaying to people and giving hands on so they can actually see as to how the world is actually networked with these giant undersea cables and how data transfers from where we are to somewhere in america and we're going to actually be showing as to how you can actually track it and see where your data's going at every point in time and that's what we like to do is it's all about the hands-on stem experience when it comes to these topics yeah that's awesome because i do remember uh it was a news story a little while ago now but uh, a whole country out in the the pacific was taken offline because the um the undersea data cable got chopped yeah um is, is that something that could happen in australia i think we've actually got quite a lot of cables which go in and out of australia from both sides of the countries yep. uh, but you should see the size of these cables they're huge so for be able to chop one of those in half that's quite an impact isn't it yeah yeah oh, very interesting indeed so uh, what sort of people are you, are you encouraging to come along to this event? Do, do you have to be a, a computer-based person already or is it open to anyone? It's open, um, it's open to anyone ages 6 through to 16. Um, and we have advanced classes and then we've also got for people who are intro as well. So we've had people come along to these workshops in the past where um, I remember one year one of the girls was like, I don't want to do this. I don't like, I don't like computers. And she just sat there with her arms crossed and we're like, okay, sure, no worries well you can just watch then and five minutes later she was fighting for the keyboard um with one of the other girls because she wanted to have a go and she was fully into it by the end it doesn't matter as to um whether or not you're an old hand or whether or not you're new to these particular concepts we have uh, workshops for everyone and we've got a whole bunch of mentors so we don't work with we don't call them t- educators we don't call them teachers we call them mentors because we've got a whole bunch of security professionals um, and also teachers uh, that are actually there on site during the day to help people out so you have to do is raise your hand or maybe even just look really confused at your screen for a while <laughs> and one of them will turn up going hey so what you're working on okay and help you work through the concepts and yeah so everyone can work together at the same pace awesome and i guess um along a similar line we're we're talking about cybersecurity here the stereotype might be of a bit of a computer nerd and that sort of thing but 
Um, what sort of skills do do people need, or, or, or are people going to develop by coming along to this this sort of uh, workshop? Okay, so these workshops we like to obviously you're going to be understanding the one ones when it comes to um, everything from cryptography as to how to hide messages and things and um, how to decode them. You'll be learning um, networking one one as well, and you will also be developing advanced skills if you want to as well. But at the same time, you have to realize that these workshops are 45 minutes each. We we deliver this as a STEM extravaganza sort of workshop, and we understand that within that 45 minutes. There's probably um, not too much lasting information that can be communicated. <laughs> but however, it's mostly there to develop interest and also to um, take those particular things home with you as well so you can develop them in your own time. Previously, um, we've always encouraged parents to come along and work with the kids if they want to because a lot of the times the parents can actually learn a lot of these skills too and it means that they can go home and actually work with the kids and continue to develop this in their own time if they want to. And uh, the parents often learn quite a lot. This year we're doing it a little bit different because of pandemic. We're trying to cut down the numbers a lot. Parents are still welcome but would probably prefer you not to come if you can just because we're trying to make things a lot safer by spacing everyone out yeah. and making sure that there's less people around when uh, if there doesn't have to be yeah uh, fair enough fair enough but it sounds like there's still some some fantastic opportunities to learn and pick up there yeah definitely and then what sort of stuff uh does this lead further into like if, if someone wants to go down uh into a career similar to yours in, in cyber security what, what sort of things do you do on a day-to-day basis that you can talk about with me that's not a secret? So um, I work in uh, what's called security operations. So I work in primarily incident response. So I uh, what's called the blue team. So I work in defense. So it means that um, on a day-to-day basis, I'll be responding to cybersecurity incidents within organizations, um, investigating them, remediating them, and then working on how to improve an organization's defensive security posture moving forward. So that's a large portion of what I do. Um, and it's actually a heap of fun. I- <laughs> <laughs> It's just like, oh, what's this? Do a lot of investigating, trying to work out what's going on, containing the problem, and then working on how to make it better for the, in the future. I find it a, a heap of fun. And um, it may not sound like it, but you can actually have careers that you actually enjoy and keep you entertained and you can develop further. So in my particular case, um, I was a bit different. I didn't go to uni immediately after school. I went straight into a traineeship after I left school. And there's a lot of traineeships out there that you can actually do, um, cyber security as well. I think there's one from MEGT which just got launched with an association of Cyber and Microsoft. So it means that if that if you're not really too interested in maybe going to university, you can go into a traineeship instead. So there's a lot of options. I did go to university a few years ago. I actually went and got my masters of cybersecurity operations. Awesome. Uh, so I finally did it. <laughs> but uh, so I do have that. But um, it's not something that necessary. So it means that whether or not you're someone that's interested in university and want to develop your skills that way or whether or not you want to go straight into doing more of a hands-on sort of traditional traineeship there's lots of opportunities to be able to do that either way and look I mean maths is really cool and a lot of fun and a lot of application but 
maybe you're not interested in developing that way. And there's a lot of other roles within cybersecurity as well. There, it's a huge area of development. So whether or not you're interested in maybe want to become a project manager or a service de- delivery lead, um, or whether or not you're interested in moving on to engineering, so actually building these particular capabilities, whether or not you're interested more in the analyst sort of background, which is what I'm currently um, engaged in. You, the, it doesn't matter. Like there's always a different place. Um, there's always a different opportunity available depending on your skills and interests. And it's not something that you should easily discuss count because i don't it's a heap of fun and there's a lot of opportunities out there yeah awesome very exciting indeed well if people want to find out more about uh, your event heidi where should they go to so um if you'd like to go to our website which is securityday.com um otherwise you can hop onto the national science week event pages and you can see us there we're on the 27th of august so we're later on in the national science week events uh and we're going to be running from 10 a.m through to 3 p.m on yeah august the 27th uh yeah that's a saturday isn't it yeah there we go (laughs) (laughs) awesome now check it out security day um and yeah you can find it all about and we'll post some links to that on our facebook page as well fantastic if uh, one thing to leave us with heidi if you're going to give one security tip to our listeners today what would you want to tell them I think one of the most important things you should really pay attention to is your passwords and passphrases that you use on a day-to-day basis. When it comes to your accounts, I really recommend making sure that you use a different... Well, so passphrases are now more commonplace than actually using passwords because passwords can be pretty hard to like remember, right? But you can create a pretty uh, complex passphrase just by looking around you... Uh, here so uh, what have we got here we've got headphones we've got chair we've got um, I don't know is that foam that's foam right there there we go (laughs) and there's a telephone so we can put in a passphrase of like yeah um, combine those words together and chuck in some random balloons at the end and there you go that's a pretty pretty secure passphrase password right there use a different one for each of the sites that you want because password these these sites get breached quite a lot and you should probably actually go and check out as to whether or not your details have been compromised in the past. There's some fantastic sites out there, such as Tour Hunt's Have I Been Pwned, where you can go check as to whether or not your details have been involved in any previous breaches and work out as to whether or not you should actually change these particular passwords for the sites. I use a password manager so I can keep all of my details in one place, which is centralizing a problem if you don't actually make sure that you have very complex um, credentials on that particular password manager but yeah keep it keep an idea as to where your details are on the internet and how well this occurred because yeah the impact can be pretty high at times when um, those particular information may become available there you go great security tip there and if you want to find out more canberra kids security day is on saturday 27th of august thanks very much for coming in this morning heidi thank you very much for having me and that was heidi from security day one of the fantastic events for national science week we're going to talk about uh, fungi in just a moment but before we do let's have a little bit of music this is andrea Kerwin with the story of us just how I feel about you, baby. 
And that's Andrea Kerwin there with the story of us. You're listening to Fuzzy Logic on 2XXFM, the community radio here in Canberra, broadcasting out on 98.3 FM, or maybe you're streaming online at 2XXFM.org.au. My name is Broderick Matthews, and it's a pleasure to be here today because we are talking National Science Week. It's not quite National Science Week. It's, it's happening soon from the 13th to the 21st of August. But we have some of the fantastic event hosts in the studio today sharing what they're up to. Before the break, we spoke to Heidi about Kids Security Day, all about cybersecurity and the importance of being safe online and secure. But now I've got the fantastic Peter in the studio and we're here to talk fungi. Welcome, Peter. Oh, it helps if I turn your microphone on. Let's try that again. Welcome, Peter. Ah, take two. Thank you very much. Great <laughs> to be here, Broderick. Thanks, uh, for, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to have you because um, fungi is a really interesting topic to explore. Um, what got you into the world of fungi? Look, it's, I mean, it's kind of funny. It, it's, it was almost just an inexorable sort of, uh, I couldn't escape it. You know, as a kid, I collected fungi and tried to draw them in the, you know, from the forests. And I, I always thought it would be nice to have a mushroom zoo because, you know, we, we'd trek through the forest to our neighbours, you know, about half an hour away and see dainty little green ones, blotches of, you know, things that look like big globs of purple hub above her that had been spat out and, you know, bracket fungi, all these sort of things. And I thought it'd be great to have a mushroom zoo and, and showcase these sort of things. But as I got into my career and, uh, you know, worked in laboratories and mushroom farms, I realised that was a silly, unrealistic ideal. <laughs> uh, however, I've come full circle and I think it'd be a great idea to have a mushroom zoo again. So. <laughs> Uh, but they, they they always just uh, they, the the more you look at anything, I mean, it's like any hobby, the 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 more fascinating th- uh, things become. I mean, it's it's not just as a as a food um, or a thing of beauty, but their role in the ecosystem and their linkages to small marsupial, marsupials and trees, mycorrhiza, the wood wide web under the soil, and you know they're a source of medicines for humans. Uh, they may be used one day to terraform Mars. You know the the and we we do a lot of work at, at Fungico with uh, uh, trying to come up with novel ways to utilise the root system of fungi, so the mycelium, to make analogues of existing products like polystyrene or leather or cardboards or what have you um, that don't require the same sort of intensive you know, animal husbandry or petrochemical use using fungi to grow on waste materials like uh, paper or, or coffee grounds that otherwise end up in landfill. And you come up with a, a, a product that can be used in lieu of these other other products. So, yeah. That's amazing because I wouldn't have thought uh, that, that fungi could be used in, in so many different ways there. Yeah. Um, so you talked about Fungi Co., your, your, yeah. your business that, uh, that you're operating there. How many different types of fungi have you managed to start in your zoo so far? <laughs> Yeah, look, the, the, the zoo is more like a small farm at this stage, but we do have a, a healthy uh, culture bank in our fridges. Uh, many of them uh, don't see the light of day because there are only so many we can grow at one time, but we've collected, amassed you know, dozens and dozens of, of cultures over the years, and we probably at any one time are growing maybe half a dozen or a dozen, dozen different edible or medicinal species, um, you know, shiitake, oyster mushrooms, the, the, the ones that you're used to, the white oyster mushrooms and grey, but also the pink and yellow um, and black oyster, um, the golden anoki, nemeco, a few other varieties, uh, lion's mane, that's a popular one these days, um, you know, a few other varieties that, that uh, people don't typically see on the shelves. Yeah. 
and we're pretty excited to get more and more of these delicious and medicinal mushrooms on people's plates in Canberra and throughout Australia. And uh, further to that, I guess, uh, get people into growing their own mushrooms. It's, it's something we run workshops uh, locally for people who want to grow mushrooms in their home, on their kitchen bench, or even in their garden. Yeah. And one day I think it would be great when you know come springtime when people sort of scratch their head those those of us who are gardeners and think should i plant some lettuce or carrot or celery or you know you're sort of making these choices and you feel the urge to plant things the question should also arise should i inoculate my logs with uh you know shiitake or should i grow some golden anoki or should i grow some pink oyster and that seems very far-fetched at this juncture but one day, if we have anything to do about it, Australians should be able to pose those questions to themselves. Yeah, well, how hard is it to grow mushrooms? Because for me, I've always seen mushrooms as those things that just randomly pop up at various points yep. um, in, in the forests or, or back when I lived in Adelaide, we'd have the, the plain white mushrooms pop up in our back garden. Yep. Um, but it, it always seemed random and, and you were never quite sure whether you could eat them or not. So how realistic is it to... DIY. Yeah, look, you can DIY foraging. That's obviously that's a sort of a mired with uh, controversy because of the, the you know the, the death cap and that sort of thing. But we we teach people how to safely forage. But in terms of growing your own, um, you know, we we produce little mushroom kits, and you, it's easy. You just sort of open them up, and they almost grow themselves. You spray it, give them a little spray of water. Um, but if you wanted to get more serious uh, with a hobby, then you can you can use that's the mycelium in these kits as your starter material to inoculate your own wood logs or straw or sugarcane mulch and it really doesn't take that much know-how once you're shown to to get into it it's much like you know if you wanted to make beer or yogurt or you know wine or whatever then yeah yeah, so you're talking about the mycelium there. Let's let's just explore that for for a bit further. What is the mycelium? Yeah, so the the you mentioned that mushrooms pop up all around, the, you know, from soil and logs. So they're really like the the fruit of the fungus, yeah. and the mycelium is like the underground root system network. So if you took an analogy of uh, comparing an apple tree kind of broadly to a fungus, then the the roots and trunk and branches and leaves of the tree would be like the the vegetative part so that would be equivalent to the mycelium that's under the ground or in the in the wood log and then the apples are kind of like the uh, analogous to the mushroom so they're the fruit and they produce spores instead of seeds and so often you'll have this thin white cottony thread of mycelium that's going through your soil gardeners will often find it when they rake away some leaves and see it there in the soil fine cottony threads very fragile and but that can extend for kilometers under the soil for one organism sometimes or could just be you know three three millimeters of stuff under the soil and they're so it's the the world under our feet is teeming with activity and we're only just starting to really understand the importance of um, not just fungi but you know small insects and bacteria and other things in the soil and how they work to keep our forests healthy and these days uh, I guess trying to apply that to th- principles like regenerative farming and keeping our soil and food healthy yeah yeah because you talked a bit before about how like some marsupials are feeding on the funky and that sort mm-hmm. of thing i mean and biodiversity is often a, a big thing that we, we talk about in our environments and the, the dropping of that but how many different fungi are we talking about in, in environments look there are estimates but you know the estimates vary from you know hundreds of thousands to millions it's really yeah, right. you know ev- 
every plant that is growing has uh, symbiotic, or not every plant, but many, many plants have symbiotic fungi associated with their roots, often multitudes of them. Um, you know, it's just, I mean, what, well, we'll get to talk to our event, I'm sure, so, yeah. soon, but um, one of the guest speakers there, Peter Marshall from um, Terra Preta um, Truffles, he can talk very, uh, you know, very sagely about this topic, about the the ecosystem under the under the trees and the, the connection between the fungi and the trees and how diverse they are, not just for eating truffles, but Australia is actually the epicentre of truffle-like fungi in the world because of this co-evolution between small marsupials, eucalypts and the fungi that uh, it's, it's a we don't have time to get into it here, but come along to the event and it's an amazing ecological story. You start yeah. to explore that further. Well, you, yeah. you mentioned the event. Let's dive into it now. What is the event you're hosting for National Science Week? Yeah, so for Science Week, we thought it would be great to showcase our love of fungi um, and we'll do that by running two uh, film events, on one on Friday the 19th of August, 7pm at Tuggeranong Arts Centre, the following day on the Saturday the 20th at 2pm at Belconnen Arts Centre. So we'll show a, a documentary called The Kingdom, How Fungi Shaped Our, Our World. And that's a, a shortish documentary, which will break up with a Q&A panel of expert mycologists. So people can come along and just soak up the vibe, everything about fungi as food, fungi as medicine, nutrition, terraforming Mars, what have you. Or if they have questions and they want to learn how to grow their own or um, extract dyes from fungi, you know, for those of you who knit and do stuff like that, um, we'll have a few displays around the side, sort of uh, interactive stuff. We'll run the doco and then we'll have a Q&A panel session there. We've got Peter Marshall, as I mentioned before, expert truffle grower from Braidwood, uh, myself with my hodgepodge of mycological experience, uh, Dr. Claudia Corosco from Sydney. She's a scientist, mushroom researcher, and um, then uh, also Jim Fuller from uh, Fable Foods. They make sort of shiitake-based protein uh, foods these days. So yeah, there's an alternative I've, tr- I've tried meat. those ones. Yeah, yeah, they, 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 they yeah. even have the, the burger patties that yeah. um, uh, grilled or somewhere like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and he's also a, a, a chemist um, and a mycologist and a chef. So if you want to learn how to really get the most out of cooking your mushrooms he he can yeah he can really uh point in the right direction um and so i guess it's just just a yeah opportunity to learn about the world of fungi we can showcase we'll have examples of mushrooms growing there examples of our mushroom leather mushroom dyes uh, posters and um you know any any topic about fungi we're happy to talk about it at that uh, event and um it's a ticketed event on eventbrite so you can look it up on eventbrite uh, mushroom q and a or you can go to our website uh, fungico dot com dot au and uh, you can see the event details there and i guess for i guess for double x subscribers yeah just contact us don't go through eventbrite contact us and we'll put your name on the door you can come for free oh so. fantastic offer for yeah. the two double x subscribers thanks for that peter yeah, yeah if you aren't subscribed to two double x make sure you do to xxfm.org.au supporting community radio and getting fantastic offers from the community like this one as yeah. as part of it too yeah, so it really does sound like an amazing event. And you talked about all the applications of fungi there. So how much of the fungi that you're growing at the moment is for food and how much of it is for non-food-based application? Yeah, look, it varies, but uh, half of the, the, the mycelium that we produce, I guess, ends up being in you know fruiting 
so we make shiitake logs or fruiting oyster bags and we uh, sell some of those mushrooms and then half of it probably goes into R&D so uh, just recently we've been making up a heap of uh, I guess what you call um, uh, analogues of polystyrene fridge panel uh, so they're incubating as we speak, and uh, you know we'd hope to bring along an example of that. So that's basically growing something the shape and and with similar properties to the polystyrene that is clad by powder coated aluminium that makes up cool room panel. And we're hoping to grow them, then test their properties as to what their thermal insulation properties are compared with the original uh, polystyrene. Um, so yeah, and we, we're making our mushroom leather and and other things as well. Um, so yeah. So a fantastic, you know, environmentally friendly alternative yep. uh, to that. Because I guess that's the other thing I wanted to explore a little further. You talked previously about um, uh, the mushrooms on waste. What are you, you feeding these, these mushrooms? How do you grow, uh, keep them going? Yeah. So a lot of the mushrooms that we have cultures of uh, are ones that you call saprophytic so they grow on dead things. So often they'll be growing on wood that's fallen over in a tree, you know, fallen trees or leaf litter. They basically use that as a, a carbon source. Basically, is their, is their food, and so sawdust is an obvious um, starting point because that's their you know nat- natural food. But you can use other carbon sources like straw or sugar cane, or if you've got you know some uh, leftover cotton t-shirt, you could probably grow it on that as well. They'll basically almost. I mean, some of the strains we have will grow on almost any carbon source you won't necessarily get good fruiting out of them but they can eat through it and and bind it and so using those properties we can take quite a variety of wastes and at least uh, convert them into a a solid sort of form just using harnessing the power of fungi and their their natural enzymatic digestive processes you know eating their way through food to make a a a new material so that's pretty exciting it sounds like there's Almost nothing that uh, that Fungi can't do here. How how much of a role do you see Fungi playing into our future? Well, look, it's not just our future. People, they're very under under sort of estimated little critters in the, but they're all through our ecosystems they they turn our forests back into soil a lot of our medicines that are, have been in, instrumental in our survival like penicillin and some heart medicines come from fungi and there are many more that are untapped and i think in terms of both medicines and materials we're just scratching the surface i mean the number of described fungi and understood ones are, are very small compared with the number yet to be uh, sort of researched. So the the future is fungal <laughs> in, in a good way. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So so yeah, if people if people are interested, look up Fungi Co. Yeah. and um, yeah, get in touch with us and yeah, yeah come no. along to the event. That's right. We'll, yeah. we'll also want to have maybe a few little uh, just tea and coffee and a few snacks that are fungi. So some shiitake, chocolate chip cookies, and then Ooh. maybe a few truffle things. So yeah. Oh, it sounds, sounds awesome. I'm definitely keen to check it out. So that's uh, The Kingdom, How Fungi Made Our World is the name of the film, but there's a lot more than just the film by the sounds of it. Q&A and tastings and all that. Uh, Friday 19th August in the evening at the Tuggeranong Arts Centre or Saturday 20th of August at 2pm over at the Belconnen Arts Centre. Uh, you can find it on the National Science Week website or Funky Co. website there. And as Peter very kindly offered before, if you are a 2XX subscriber, send him an email and uh, you can join the event for, for free. Get your name on the door. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time today, Peter, and, and sharing all about uh, fungi. No worries. Thanks, Broderick.
Thanks very much. And uh, we've got one more event to share here about National Science Week on Fuzzy Logic. Uh, but before we do, let's have a quick music break. This is local band Fun Machine with their song, Wichita. <laughs> And that was Fun Machine there with Wichita. You're listening to 2XFM, community radio broadcasting across Canberra, and uh, you're potentially listening on your radio on 98.3 FM or streaming online at 2xxfm.org.au. My name is Broderick, and today on Fuzzy Logic, we are talking National Science Week. It's coming up real soon the 13th to the 21st of August. If you want to see what's happening across Canberra, head to inspiringtheact.org.au where they have all the Canberra program there, including the fantastic Science in the Centres, where you can find some science in your local shopping centres during National Science Week. Uh, but today we've had the, the lucky... Uh, been very lucky to host uh, some of the event holders in the studio. We've talked cybersecurity, we've talked fungi, and now we're about to talk chemistry and making molecules, electricity, all that and more. And so it's fantastic to have Associate Professor Lara Mallins from the Australian National University in the studio. Good morning, Lara. Good morning, Roderick. Thanks for having me here. Thank you for joining me. Um, look, let's start with your your research area and what you investigate. You're all about... Um, Making molecules is the, the simplest form of it. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's right. So I think it started probably for me as a child thinking I love building things with Legos uh, and making molecules is very similar. So you have pieces. I mean, you can think of them as atoms or strings of atoms and you essentially construct them like you would a set of Lego. So Is it really that simple? Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, it requires probably a little bit more training than, yeah. than uh, unpacking the Lego set. But in principle, yeah, you can think about you know, complementary pieces fitting together um, and ways of making new and complex structures. And so that was always really fascinating to me when I was growing up. And um, in a research sense, I basically get to do that all day, every day, um, which is awesome. And I, I really, really enjoy that. And part of our motivation as chemists is to think about not just building exciting looking structures, but also structures that do things. So my lab is interested in particular in new therapies. So can we develop and construct molecules that have a purpose? Uh, and medicinal chemistry is one of the applications that we really look to. Um, can we make molecules that, uh, again, are going to help benefit humankind? Uh, and we're interested specifically in things like antibiotics uh, and new drugs for malaria. Right. Okay. Because um, malaria is probably one of those big... Um big treatments that we just haven't quite found the, the silver bullet for at the moment, have we? So how's, how's your work looking at treating malaria that's different? So my work revolves a lot around the development of a class of molecules called peptides. And essentially, peptides are smaller forms of protein. So lots of us, I think, you know, you, you appreciate what protein is. You go to the supermarket and, you, you know, you see the, the, the meat aisle and, and you know, you have a, a conceptual idea of what protein is. Uh, it's constructed of strings of amino acids. Peptides are kind of scaled down versions of proteins. So they're, they're little strings of the same amino acid building blocks, and they have lots of really valuable functions. So in the malaria space, we've actually taken, uh, with the help of some collaborators also at the ANU and a collaborator up in the University of Queensland, we've been able to take a protein, which your body naturally produces, which has anti-malarial activity, and we've been able to pare that down into sort of its simplest form, so a smaller, shorter string of amino acids, 
consistent with a, a peptide chain that has anti-malarial activity. And the coolest part about this peptide is it actually selectively enters blood cells that are infected with malaria. So you can think about using it as like a Trojan horse to deliver new drugs into infected cells without harming the individual. And that's sort of the, I guess, conceptual idea, those types of innovative strategies for drug design and development that my lab likes to look at. And we see peptides as being this really cool, exciting space that's I'd say thus far underutilized as therapies, and yeah. we hope to kind of fill that gap. Yeah. Well, I feel like peptides got a bit of a bad rap a few years ago from the um, the Essendon Football Club. I know, coincidentally, yeah. you're wearing red and black <laughs> oh, today. No. Yeah, <laughs> I should have thought about that. Uh, <laughs> but but I guess um, what was the, the 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 talk about peptides there in the in the the well, it was a, a doping sense versus the, the treatments that you're exploring now. Yeah, so that was a really interesting time for me personally because I was right in the middle of my PhD at the time uh, in Sydney. And every time I told people that I'm working on peptides, they kind of you know raised their eyebrows thinking, <laughs> what, wait, what are you doing, you know? Um, but the principle is the same, right? The reason why people would dope with things like peptides is because they're performance enhancers. So the peptides that they were looking at promote mus muscle growth, right, or, or recovery. And the challenge was not that they weren't active, that they weren't doing the job that they were supposed to do. The challenge was that they weren't really tested as, as you know, safe substances for humans to take in yeah. that regard. So that was all the scare, really, was that people were taking things that were kind of untested and, and um, you know, experimental, I guess you could say. Um, but in reality, we know a lot about how to design a safe drug. Um, and so the principles behind peptides being really biologically active and really promising that's in that space is still there. And I think one of the main appeals of them is that they're relatively selective. So if you think about um, a small molecule drug, it's a, it's a, a little molecule, right, composed of only a few atoms. Uh, and it often will hit off-target in, uh, in your body. So, you know, you might take this therapy and um, you get side effects from taking the drug. Things like peptides are a little bit bigger and usually they're more selective. So what that means from a therapeutic perspective is that hopefully you can treat the disease. Take, for example, the, the malaria application that I described earlier, and you can hit only infected cells or you could take out only the bacteria, the invading pathogen, but not harm the, the human host. So it's sort of this nice balance between being effective and being selective. Yeah. So is, is it, sorry, that's just struck me when you're saying it. Is it an oversimplification, but to say that side effects from drugs are really because the effect of the drug is just not hitting where you want it to? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so you can yeah. think about it as selectivity, right? Yeah. So, so are you hitting the right target within the body? And your human body is very complex. Yeah. Right? We don't always think of it that way. But, um, you know, you eat or drink something, you, you take a drug, you swallow it, and you expect it to go to the right place, right? Um, and, and that's kind of something that we take for granted, but um, it's not that simple. Yeah. So if you have um, a targeting vehicle, for example, to deliver a therapy to the right location, um, then that's going to do an enormous amount of benefit in terms of reducing off-target effects. So things like peptides might just fill that role, and there's still a lot of work to be done in the space, but it's just one of the reasons why, as chemists, we kind of see peptides as really exciting molecules to explore further. Yeah, and are they always based on something that's already in our body? Because you talked about the, the 
a malaria one coming from a, a protein in our body that you broke down? Or can you start with something just completely from your own head? So it's a little bit of both, right? <laughs> I, I guess, again, I think about this Lego analogy. You, you get the, the Lego kit and you look at the box and you're like, yeah, it's supposed to be a castle. But yeah. you can make your own castle out of it, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, you yeah. can put doors and spires wherever you want. Um, and chemistry is kind of similar. We do look to nature for inspiration. And I think that's one of our most powerful, uh, you know, in, in inspiring facets, I guess, of, of being a chemist is to say, you know, nature has spent billions of years evolving molecules for specific functions. So we may as well use that as a starting point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something like, the, you know, this class of molecules, peptides that I keep coming back to are, are prevalent in nature. Yeah. So... Do you see them, you see them, them. in fungi? We just had our, yeah, our fungi yeah. expert on. So, so, you know, bacteria produce them, plants, yeah. animals. Um, they're incredibly prolific. And we can take some of those templates and, and just expand on them. And as synthetic chemists, we kind of think that we're fine-tuning, we're optimizing this, this framework or this template that nature has given us. And that's going to give us an awesome starting point for developing new functions or perhaps better, better therapies and safer therapies. Yeah, very exciting indeed. Um, and so if we look into your uh, National Science Week event now, you're talking about um, uh, electricity at, at, at this event. So how does electric- how do we get electricity from the, the peptide protein molecule forming world? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> so um, this was a really interesting, I guess, pursuit for us in the research space. We're thinking about how to make molecules And in order to make molecules, you have to put in energy, right? And that could come from heat or light or indeed electricity, right? So so we're thinking about how can we make bonds in a way that's safe uh, and sustainable and scalable. And electricity is a, a really hot area of chemical synthesis at the moment because it sort of ticks all of those boxes. And you can imagine, you know, electricity as being something that's all around you. And I think it's almost something that we don't think about because, you know, you flip on the switch and the light turns on. Yeah. You, you don't think about what's causing that or why. Um, but it's essentially just movement of electrons, right? So if you simplify electricity, it's electrons moving in a circuit. And you can use electricity to drive chemical reactions. So you can take that, that energy, if you will, uh, and the idea that you're, you're adding electrons or removing electrons from a system, and you can now use that to start to make new bonds. So I, I think of this as another tool of building your Lego structure, right? And um, you can start to design new pieces and new connections by using this kind of unconventional source of driving a chemical reaction. Um, so we got into electrochemistry almost out of curiosity. Uh, it was one of these things that um, now you can buy a little apparatus you take out of the box and you, you, you plug it in and you turn it on and you can use electricity to trial chemical reactions. And so when I started my group at the ANU, we, we bought one of these. It's called an Electrosyn, so it's, it's pretty cool. It's got a nice name. Um, and we started to just play around with it. And we found that we could make modifications to molecules like peptides, complex molecules, in a really selective way using the power of electricity. So that got us really motivated to continue to explore uh, this as a tool for chemistry. And so our Science Week event is hoping to sort of capitalize on on that idea that um, we want to teach people a little bit more about electricity. It's really hands-on and interactive. So um, I actually brought you a lemon, Broderick, because oh, yeah. we're, we're going to make lemon batteries uh, oh, <laughs> at our National okay. Science Week event. So I know our, our radio listeners obviously can't see <laughs> I brought, that I brought a prop. Yeah. Um, but we're going to, to talk about the fundamentals of electricity, 
do some kind of kitchen science, which will be quite fun and interactive. Yeah. And then we're going to talk about how we can translate some of those same tools into the development of, of new chemistry and making some exciting new molecules. Yeah. So from the, the, the humble lemon to, to saving lives. That, that's right. That's right. I mean, it's kind of cool to think that, you know, the, uh, the lemon battery is what's developing next generation therapies. But, yeah. but that's sort of where, where we're aiming for. Yeah. Very exciting indeed. Well, it does sound like an awesome event. Um, Electricy. Uh, I, I love the name for it. And uh, on Wednesday, the 17th of August. Um, if, do people need to register to come along to that one? They do. So you can register online. The National Science Week website has a link there. And it's, it's completely free, suitable for both adults and children. So yeah. we're hoping that we get a good, good mix of people. And anyone who really likes to dive in and just do some hands-on science, this will be a great event for them. Awesome. Very exciting indeed. And we'll post the link to that on our Facebook page as well. Uh, so everyone can uh, check out that event. Um, I guess going back to your research briefly, Lara, where, where, where do you think you'll explore next? You're currently looking at malaria. What's, what's the next, uh, next wave for peptide uh, work? Yeah, so one of the coolest, I think, applications that we have in the pipeline is thinking about antibiotics. So we all know that antibiotic resistance is a really big challenge that we're facing, uh, and we need to think about how we can address it. It turns out that microbes in your gut, so bacteria, beneficial bacteria that live in, in your intestines, might produce the next hot-button antibiotic, um, and we're learning a little bit more about the complex structures, which are indeed peptides, that some of these bacteria produce, and we're now developing new tools to, to make them in the lab. So our hope is that perhaps we can, you know, capitalize on these beneficial bacteria that already live inside you uh, and think about developing some, some really valuable and functional new antibiotics using that knowledge. Yeah, that sounds like an amazing application and a, and a very needed one too um, as we get to that uh, that uh, antibiotic resistance uh, that we're approaching. So very yeah, exciting absolutely. indeed. Well, look, I could keep asking you many more questions, um, but uh, we're going to run out of time soon on Fuzzy Logic. But if you listeners do have more questions uh, to ask Lara, then make sure you head along to uh, the Science Week event Wednesday 17th August at 6.30pm over at the Australian National University in the Murray Ray Teaching Centre. Uh, and you can find all about uh, electricity and making molecules uh, with that. Uh, thanks so much for joining me and chatting today, Lara. Yeah, thanks, Broderick. Really appreciate the opportunity and hope to see you all at the Science Week event. Yeah, very exciting indeed. And you can check out all the National Science Week events happening in the ACT uh, by heading to inspiringtheact.org.au or the National Science Week website, scienceweek.net.au. Uh, focus down your events by location and you can narrow it down to everything that's happening in Canberra. There really is so much happening from the 13th to the 21st of August. Um, and we'll be sharing all this across our social media as well on Fuzzy Logic, so you can check it out there. If you enjoyed today, listening to today's episode, we do podcast as well, Fuzzy Logic on 2xx.podbean.com. You can listen to this episode and old episodes there. And next week, I'll be back again uh, talking science with Geoscience Australia. But for now, I better wrap up. My name's Broderick Matthews, and this has been Fuzzy Logic, your science on a Sunday.